Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. Um, our pastor, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, is on vacation this week. And so uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to be working through verse 1 to verse 10. So if you will, take your Bibles and let's open up there. And as you turn, the book of Ephesians is Paul's theological masterpiece. And so um, it was written to a church that he loved because they were a church that they were in a hostile environment. Uh, it was well known that uh, what happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. And so uh, he's writing to a church um, that's faithful in, in an unfaithful place. And, um, and so, so far in the chapter or in the book, um, Paul has laid out the doctrine of election in chapter 1. And then he's just prayed for the believers at Ephesus. And then we come here to chapter 2 where Paul is going to just lay out beautifully uh, the good news of the gospel. And so uh, hopefully you're, you're there. And let me make a bold claim to you this morning. The bold claim is this. This is the single most important passage in the Bible, in my opinion. And what this text does is it gives us a litmus test to how we are to understand the gospel. And in this passage, Paul introduces a word that's kind of a shorthand uh, term that we use to summarize our relationship with Jesus. And the word that he's going to use here is the word saved. Now, this, this is a great word that kind of explains what happens to us when we come to Jesus. But if you're with us this morning and maybe you're not yet a believer, let me just sympathize with you for a moment that this word saved may be confusing to you. It may even be a little scary to you. And if I'm being honest, sometimes when I hear this word, it makes me cringe a little bit, you know? I, I didn't grow up in the church, but sometimes when I hear that word, I just imagine for a minute a Southern Baptist pastor who's maybe a little pudgy, wearing a tight, uh, out-of-style suit, red-faced, yelling, and he says this word like it's got four syllables in it. And he's like, are you saved? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? And so listen, if sometimes that, that word comes with a little bit of uh, baggage, we get that, okay? And so I want you to feel comfortable as we talk about this. And so um, the Apostle Paul is off the charts brilliant. I don't know if you figured that one out yet. And what he's going to do in the very first verse of, of chapter 2 is he's going to take two common myths that we have about evil in our world He's going to take those two common myths, and he's just going to put a piece of dynamite right in between them and blow them up. And so let me give you these two myths that we have about evil in our world. The first one is this, that other people are the problem, right? Every, everybody recognizes that we have evil in our world, right? Um, and we assume that other people are the problem, or that's why we put locks on our doors. We have filters on our internet to keep people out. Um, if you look at our country right now, and I'm not making any judgments, I'm just going to have some fun here, but if you look at our country politically, uh, look at the way we're divided and we think that other people are the problem. Conservatives, they think that liberals are the problem, right? Liberals are those people who are trying to diminish family values, and they're trying to take gluten out of all of our food, right? And I don't even know what gluten is, but that's my gluten. Don't take it out of my food. Right? But then you look at the other side, liberals, they think, they think conservatives are the problem, right? I mean, they only care about themselves, and those people do not recycle. And that's terrible, right? Now that I've offended both sides of the political spectrum, right, we're going to go on. Um, so we think other people are the problem. But then that goes around with this second myth, too, that we also have, and that's this. Deep down, we're really not all that bad, 
right? We're not that bad. We're, we're basically good people. Sometimes we might get confused or we lose our way or, or sometimes we're just weak. We make bad decisions, right? So what Paul's going to do in verse 1 is he's just going to blow up those two myths. Let me show you what happens. He says this, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now notice here, notice the first word right there. I want, one word I want you to notice. The first is this, you. You were dead, right? That's, that's not other people. That's, that's you. That's me. We are the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. You, not other people. You see, there's one category of people. It's sinner. Every human being has a fatal disease in their own heart, and that's sin. We are all sin-sick people in need of a grace-filled Savior. But then look at the second word here. second word I want you to notice is this, the word dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You see, the problem is, is not that we're good people who occasionally lose our way. Our problem is that we're spiritually dead. You see, a lot of people think of sin as bad actions, right? Stealing, lying, cheating, right, etc. But let me tell you that the word dead right here actually shows that sin isn't as much uh, an action. It's actually a condition that we have. You see, the, the sin symptoms are just a product of our dead condition. Think about it this way. You don't have the flu because you cough, sneeze, and run a fever. You cough, sneeze, and run a fever because you have the flu. And see, we, we're dead in our, our sins, and, and there's no amount of religious behavior modification that can change that about us, right? I mean, behavior changes, that only affects the outside, but it doesn't deal with the real problem. Um, behavior modification will never make you come alive. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Complete hypothetical uh, situation here. This may or may not have happened this weekend, um, but you, you know that Tupperware container in the back of your refrigerator. You know, maybe from a couple of days ago, you went to a restaurant and you had a little extra, maybe like a piece of chicken, hypothetically, right? And you put it in the back of the refrigerator and, uh, and maybe you got hungry Saturday and, and, and you just pulled it out. When, when you pulled it out, uh, you gave it maybe like a little check. You, you know what the check, the, you, anybody? The, so anyway, you, 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 you're not checking that thing to make sure it's fresh, right? Because hopefully it was dead before you put it in there, right? Right? But what you're doing when you give it the check is you're really just figuring out how much Frank's Red Hot Sauce am I going to have to put on this thing in order for it to taste good, right? Because I put that stuff on everything, right? Anyway, all right, so here's the deal. Is that sometimes when we try to cover up our dead condition with behavior modification, really all we're just doing is we're just trying to slap on some hot sauce on the fact that we have a sin nature. And see, in our nature, we're already spiritually dead. We're rotting. We might smell okay for a little while. We may even learn to cover up the areas of our stench with uh, culture or behavior or religion. But honestly, we're dead. Now, at this point in the sermon, some of y'all are thinking, this sermon has started off awesome, Jake. Now we know why they only let you preach a couple times a year, right? right? We're well aware of that. But what I would say to that statement is it's, it's about to get a lot worse. So let's, let's just buckle in for a second, because before we can see the good news, we really got to look at the bad news. 
Look at verse two with me. We'll start in verse one, we'll run through verse two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a reference to Satan. And the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Walk through this text with me for a second. I want you to see this. God says that before he saved us, we were spiritually dead. We followed the ways of this world. We were influenced by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We followed Satan. And while we did that, Satan's spirit began to lead us and influence us in how we lived. Right? And then watch this, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts, right? This is, this is idolatry. This is craving something more than God in our lives, wanting something more than we want Jesus. And then look at this last line. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, some of you are thinking right now, Jake, uh, I know I've made some mistakes in my life, but you're telling me that without Christ, I am spiritually dead, a follower of Satan, and I am deserving of wrath in a place called hell for all eternity. And what I would tell you is the Bible right here in this text says, yes, that is who we are without Jesus. That is the bad news. And you might be thinking right now, but Jake, I go to church. I help those in need. I may even recycle every once in a while, right? But here's the point. Here's the point we got to get. In light of our biggest sin, which is replacing God's authority and living for our own glory, in light of that, our goodness is not all that good anymore, right? You may not realize it this side of eternity, but our rebellion against God is far worse than any good thing we might do here on earth. You see, let me, let me illustrate this a little bit more. I have a missionary friend who's in Rwanda and in the mid-90s, there was some unspeakable genocide that happened in that nation. And one of his first days on the field, he went out to this place where this uh, Rwandan pastor took him. And the pastor took him out to this place, and he said, it's in this spot right here that my whole family, all my friends, and my people were slaughtered. And he, he just showed him that place. And then that Rwandan pastor prayed a prayer over that spot with my, my missionary friend. And in his uh, update letter, he wrote down the prayer, and I want you to hear this because it beautifully illustrates our depravity. I want you to hear this. He says, this pastor, he says, God, forgive me. The wickedness that drove men to commit these crimes is the same sin in my heart. I am no better, no closer to salvation, but for your grace. The point I want to make here is even if you don't experience the full outworking of your depravity because of circumstance or where you grew up or whatever it is, just because you haven't experienced the full outworking of your depravity doesn't mean the root of that sin is not in your heart, right? You and I deserve the wrath of God. We are spiritually dead in our sin and our blasphemy against God, it deserves the eternal punishment of hell, right? See, I want us to get this before we move forward because if you don't understand the bad news, you won't really get the good news. Every physician knows if you, if you misdiagnose the disease, you'll misprescribe the cure. 
And, and if you don't understand what the disease is, you'll never embrace the cure. And so here's the deal. If we don't know the bad news, then we'll never understand the true good news. And if we never understand the good news, then we'll never share the good news, right? So we have to get the bad news. We have to know what we're saved from so that we can understand what God has done for us so then that we would share that with other people. In 2012, LifeWay Research found that 80% of churchgoers believe that they have a responsibility to share their faith with their community. 80%, that's awesome. But what they also found in the same study is this, 61% of regular churchgoers have not shared the gospel with another person in the last six months. So in this room right now, two-thirds of the people here in the last six months have not shared the gospel with another person. Now, I'm not here to guilt or to make anybody feel terrible, but what I want to say right here is this. If that's the case, in the last six months you haven't shared that with anyone, then maybe what it could be is either we don't understand the good news, we don't know how good it actually is, or we don't believe the good news. Maybe, we, maybe we've bought into behavior modification and slapping on some hot sauce and looking good, holy, and righteous. We've missed the fact that we were dead and we've been made alive. So we've got to understand this. If we're going to share the good news, we've got to understand what the bad news actually is. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. That's a lot of bad news in there, right? A lot of bad news. But thank God for verse 4, right? Verse 4, it just gets so sweet. In verse 4, it contains the two greatest syllables ever spoken in any language, right? These two words, they're so amazing. But God, right? But God. You are all these things, but God. This is the largest conjunction in the Bible, right? In the Greek, these two words are together, but in the NIV, it reads like this. But Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Look at this kind of love. This is the type of love you have uh, for someone uh, who's hurt you, who's wronged you. This is the type of love you have for your enemy. And then look at this mercy. This is the type of mercy that we wouldn't show each other. This is the type of mercy that Jonah would not show the Ninevites, right? I mean, this this is amazing. And so, but God, and then look at verse five, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Notice, this is all past tense. Uh, Paul is referring to what Jesus has done or has already done for us on the cross. He's not talking about this gradual process of becoming alive. This is done once and for all for us. You see, on the cross, Jesus became sin for us, right? You see, on the cross, Jesus was treated like a follower of Satan. You see, on the cross, Jesus was treated like a child of wrath. On the cross, Jesus took our place. And then look what happens in verse 6. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Again, this is all past tense, right? It's not that he will seat us with him. We're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You see, God has literally put you, if you are in Christ, he has literally put you in Jesus' seat. I want you to see how good this is. Jesus took your place on the cross, and then by grace through faith, God now puts you in Jesus' seat. 
Uh, do, do you realize what kind of confidence this can give you in life? Let me, let me make a bold statement for you for a moment, and I want you to hear how good this is. I am as sure of heaven as Jesus is right now, right? I mean, look at this. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Well, is Jesus there? Because if Jesus is there, I know that I'll be there, right? Because Jesus literally became my salvation. This isn't arrogance. This is just knowing that I'm going to heaven based on Jesus' account, not mine. If he is there, I know that one day I'll be there too, right? You see, my righteousness is based on him. It's not based on me, right? And so here's Paul's great summary of the gospel, starting in verse 8. Just walk through it with me. All right, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. As we kind of wrap up our time together, what I want, want to do real quick is I just want to give you four crucial points about the gospel from these three verses. Let me walk through this real quick with you. First thing is this, the, the basis of salvation is grace. By grace, you have been saved. Um, let's pick out some of these words together and look at them. Look at the word have been, that's passive. That's not something you did, that's something that was done for you. God did that for you. And then look at the word grace, that's unmerited favor. It's, it's not based on anything good from you, it's a gift from God. You see, grace is not a reward for good behavior. It's not because you were less bad than other people. It's not even because of your faith that you've received grace, right? That word this in verse 8, it ties, ties salvation and faith together. Salvation and faith are both gifts from God that he's given us. Uh, let me illustrate this for you, for you for a second. You may have heard of salvation like this. I was drowning in a sea of sin, and then Jesus showed up in a lifeboat, right? And here's what Jesus did. He took, a, he took a life vest and he threw it out to me. And I caught that life vest and I held onto it and he pulled me into the boat and then I was saved. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? The only problem with it is that based on these verses, it's not the gospel. You see, the gospel is this. I wasn't drowning in a sea of sin. I was face down dead in a sea of sin. And Jesus showed up in a lifeboat and he left the lifeboat. He left heaven. He came down into my sea of sin. He came to earth. And he rescued me from my dead state. He pulled me into the lifeboat. And then he breathed the breath of life into me. And now I have life more abundantly because of Jesus. That is the gospel. Can I get an amen? You see, in salvation... I did all the sinning, but Jesus, Jesus did all the saving. That's why we glorify him. The second thing we see here is that the instrument of salvation is faith. Faith is, is, is choosing to place your eternal destination. It's taking your soul and basically betting it all on Jesus. I'm taking my eternal soul and I'm putting it on him. I'm putting it on his account. And look, God has already done all this in past tense. He's completed the purchase of your salvation. And when you, when, you, when you claim it as your own, when you say, that's mine, it becomes yours. And that's faith. It's by grace you are saved through faith. 
And then here's the third thing. The result of salvation is good works. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not saved by good works. We know that. But if you are saved, there will be good works in your life. You see, when God saves you, he unites you with Christ. And when he unites you with Christ, the, the spirit of Christ is infused into your, your nature, into your body, into who you are. And uh, listen, that infusion works faster on some people than others, right? You know, some people, they're immediately saved and, and different, and others, we're, we're still praying for them. You may know people like that, right? But, but here's the thing we got to see. If we claim to be in Christ, but our life is no different, then, then, then is there a disconnect there? Uh, let me illustrate it to you like this. Um, let's just say for a moment, as, as Todd was finishing up uh, the worship set, uh, I wasn't here yet, right? I was late. And let's say Todd's kind of like, all right, where's, where's Jake? Where's he at? Uh, Jake, can you come on up here? And then Todd thinks, okay, we'll, we'll play a few more songs, you know, and plays a few more songs. And after he gets done, then I rush up here and I run up. Hey, guys, uh, sorry I was late. Um, on my way here, I was getting into my truck, and uh, this, this Mack truck just, just came by and, bam, hit me while I was, I was getting into my vehicle. But, but don't worry, I, I got up, I, I dusted myself off, stretched a little bit, and now I'm here. I'm ready to preach. Let's go. What would you guys think if I had gotten up here and done that? Well, here's what you should think. You think, that guy's a liar, right? Because if he got hit by a Mack truck, there is no way he's here preaching right now, right? We're airlifting that guy and we're praying for him, right? Here's the point of that illustration. If you claim that you've been hit with the Mack truck that is God's mercy and grace, and then your life remains unchanged, then we really have to ask the question, has that really happened in your life? See, the result of salvation is a changed life. It's good works. We live differently. Finally, the last thing we pull from this passage is this. The confidence of salvation is that what God started, he will finish. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That prepared beforehand, if you read chapter one, that makes complete sense. We don't have time for that right now. But let me just tell you that God created the opportunity for good works, and then he's given you the spirit to make that happen. And that word workmanship, oh, it's so beautiful. It, it means masterpiece. There's only one other place in scripture where you see that word. It's in creation. Uh, this, this Greek word poema, it's like poem, this beautiful poem God's creating with your life. It's paralleled in creation. You see, in creation, God takes nothing, and he speaks it all into existence. And in salvation, you know what God does? He takes righteousness that doesn't exist in you. And through Jesus, he speaks righteousness into your life, and you are made righteous. Here's the deal. Our part in salvation is abiding in Christ. It's yielding Christ. It's allowing the Spirit to come into us through faith and changing us forever. And today, in light of these verses, I just got to ask you this question. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered to him by grace through faith and allowed him to change you forever? This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And as the, the band and everybody comes up, this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to say, 
I want to be changed forever. The Bible says in Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you want to do that today? Is, is the Holy Spirit moving in your heart to do that? To claim that he is Lord and to believe in your heart that God, he is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead. For many of us here today, you, you've been walking dead in your trespasses for too long. It's time to come alive. It's time to live a new life. Aren't you tired of trying to cover it up, living with religion and just trying to, trying to fake it with everybody? Are you ready to turn around? Are you ready to come back to him? Are you ready for him to make you alive, make you alive in Christ? Let's pray together. Father, as we've looked at your word, and God, as we have looked at the gospel this morning, God, we've seen the bad news. We know how bad it is. But God, we're blown away by the good news that, that even though we're in that dead state, but you stepped in and you saved us. God, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, I pray that they would not leave this place without coming to know you. Father, move in our hearts. Father, if there's people here who need to repent and turn around and make things right, may they do that. Lord, if there's people here who are struggling because they don't have a church home, Father, may they do that as well. But Lord, may you move among your people. May they respond to the word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.